time for another episode of Rich in Relationship. And today we're talking about five tips to having a safer feeling relationship, or maybe it's actually a safer relationship, a safer marriage, so to speak, a safer partnership. And why do we care about this? Why does it matter? Well, uh, today is being inspired by the fact that it's September 11th and that um, for many of us, September 11th was the realization that safety is a very subjective thing. I recall uh, when the towers went down, realizing that my government really does not have the ability to protect me as I would hope. And that safety, my sense of safety was an illusion. And it got me to thinking at that time, what is safety? Safety is an inside job, really. We can be in a war zone and feel safe. We can be in a totally calm and serene environment and feel completely unsafe. And that is what has led to today's topic. How many of you are in marriages, which for all purposes seem okay, you have children, you've got the nice house, you've got a car, but you don't feel completely safe. What does that mean that you don't feel safe? Maybe you're in a marriage where you feel criticized frequently, where you feel like you have to defend yourself all the time. Maybe you're concerned that your partner is seeing somebody else and having an affair, or maybe you're hoping that they're seeing somebody else and having an affair, or maybe you're thinking about having an affair because the judgment in the household is so high because there's little sense of safety in the room. And that's really what we're here to talk about is what does it mean to feel safe? How can we have our safety back? If we're in a relationship where we feel constantly criticized and we're constantly defending ourselves, where we feel like every time the other person says something, we have to put up our guard or maybe we attack them back just to get them to back off. If we're in an environment like that, that's not safe. That's not fun, that's not desirable. And maybe we're helping, hoping it's just gonna change or maybe, you know, I've worked with so many people who think that's normal. They think my parents did that, so that's what I'm gonna do. Well, I'm gonna tell you something. If that's normal, you don't have to have it. I don't want that. If that's normal, I don't want it, all right? And that doesn't mean that you have to get rid of your partner. It doesn't mean that you have to get rid of your marriage. It does mean that we need to look for ways that we can make it safe again so that we can go back to a relationship where it's two hearts working to beat as one, where it's two people sharing themselves, sharing of themselves, giving of themselves, two people supporting one another in being the best that they can be. Two people, one who sees in the other, someone who could be so accomplished, who in their fullness and glory is making such a difference in the world, they see them as someone that that other person doesn't even know is in them, but it's there, they see it. And that we experience that ourselves, that we're in the presence of someone who loves us, that we feel better in their presence because they see us, our full potential, potential we don't even know that we have, they see it and we feel it. Let's go back to that. Let's go back to having a relationship of mutual love, mutual support, mutual benefit, 
of really showing up and caring for one another. What do you think about that? How do you think that would be? I think that would be amazing. So we're going to talk about how to get there. We're going to talk about five steps that we can take to get to that place. In order to have what we're calling relational safety, there needs to be a sense of intimacy or a desire to build intimacy. And we've talked about intimacy in previous episodes as being caring, communication, trust, and empathy. So I'm gonna give you five tools to help you build those qualities. The first step is, before we get to the tools, let's evaluate what is emotional and relational safety. It might be something like, my feelings matter. When I share my feelings, they're heard. My ideas matter. My concerns matter. My fears, no matter how irrational, matter. It might be an environment where when one of us is angry or both of us is angry, we say, time out, time out. This isn't working. We need to reset because having an angry conversation is destructive. Anger is a destructive emotion. We can express anger without engaging in anger. And we've talked in previous episodes about using I statements as a way to express anger appropriately. What that would look like for those of you who haven't heard those episodes is I feel angry when this happens because of this. And it's a responsible way of expressing our anger. Instead of taking that anger and writing it and going, every time you do that, it makes me angry. Right, that you can hear the difference. One is a responsible, I'm responsible for my own feeling. The other is actually giving the other person the power to make us angry. So we wanna be in an environment where anger is not out of control, where when, when it's in control, when anger is in control, it's in our control. When anger is out of control, it's because we're giving someone else the power over us. We wanna be in an environment where we don't feel judgment where we feel understanding and compassion. So what does that look like? That might look like my wife saying to me, I'm just going to give it, I'm going to make up an example. It might be an example of your, your wife saying to you, you know, I heard you talking on the phone the other day and I really didn't like the way you were talking about the women at your job. There's criticism in that, right? And my reaction to that might be, you know what? You don't even know who I was talking to. We, we weren't even talking about the women at my job. We were joking around. Da, 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 da. That would be a defensive reaction. So in both of those instances, there might be better ways to communicate. First, the what I heard or what I think I heard you saying and the, what was actually going on. Both of those things would involve understanding compassion rather than judgment. Both people, both expressions were an expression of judgment. There was a first person heard something on the phone and judged it. The second person heard it as a criticism and had a judgment that that was criticism and responded to it. It's about discovering together what you can do 
or what you don't want to do that makes your partner and even yourself feel unsafe or safe. <laughs> what you can do to feel safe, what you don't want to do to feel unsafe. I don't I still don't know if I said that. We want to feel safe. We don't want to feel unsafe. That's what I'm trying to say. All right. So there are very real steps that you can take to creating that kind of environment. We're gonna talk about them in depth. Very real steps we can take from going from a place of judgment and anger and defensiveness to going to a place of compassion and understanding and discovery. And these come from the National Institute of Marriage. Uh, they've done studies on this. And the first step is gonna sound really old school, right? Honor your partner. So what does that mean to honor your partner? It means to recognize that they're valuable, that they're treasured, that the person that he or she is, is someone special to you. If we slip into judgment, we're no longer communicating value. We're being critical. We're taking them down. When we're honoring our partner, we're remembering that this is a choice. It doesn't, honoring our partner doesn't just come up. We choose to honor someone. Sometimes they may behave in a way that's less than honorable and we can choose to engage with them on that level or we can actually call forth that better person that they are by honoring them. If they make a disparaging remark, we can say to them, you know, I've always known you to be a person who is supportive and caring. And I'm wondering if you could rephrase that remark in a way that reflects that. That might be a way to honor them, to call forth someone that you know is there. And why do you know that they're there? Because we all have multiple levels of emotion and personality that coexist at the same time, starting with feeling like victim and on the top being ultimate creators and everything in between. And we, we all have that coexisting in the same moment and we can call forth those qualities from one another if we really know and care for one another. Honor means regarding them with respect. So even if in that moment they're being a critical person or behaving in a way that is unpleasant for you, you can still respect their feelings. So if someone's speaking to you in a way that's critical and even judgmental, you have the option of engaging in mirroring or committed listening, which we've talked about in previous episodes a good deal, focusing on a feeling and a fact and just letting them know that they're heard. Sometimes when a person is really hurt and in a victim-y space, they just need to be heard. And we can respect that. We can honor them by respecting. They need to be heard and we can be loving that for them in that regard. Even if we don't agree with what they're saying, you know, showing that you hear them does not mean that you agree with them. It does not mean that you believe in what they're saying. It simply means that you hear them. And by doing that, we're honoring them. We're showing them, I care about you, you're worthwhile. Even though what you're saying is disparaging, even though I feel hurt, I'm gonna at least show you that I care enough to hear about you, hear what you're saying. And once they've been heard, very often they might then be interested in hearing about 
how you felt in that moment. And you'll have the opportunity to share with them. So honoring your partner, holding them in the highest possible esteem is a key tool. And is that simple? Oh, it's so simple. Is it easy? No, because where we want to go is reaction, reaction, reaction. In order to do that, we're going to need to do what? Suspend judgment. So the second step is to suspend judgment, our own judgment. Judgment is a two-dimensional snapshot of what's happening in the moment. It's a judgment of who that person is in that moment and what's going on in that moment. And the problem with two-dimensional snapshots is we are at least three-dimensional people. It's a snapshot of behavior in that moment and putting it on that person for all time. When in fact, throughout all time, we show the whole range of emotions from ultimate creativity to victimization to everything in between, as, as I said earlier. So suspending judgment is built on honoring and acknowledge, acknowledging that we are all home, whole and complete human beings. It's really easy to go to negativity and criticism. It's a great way to tank vulnerability and authentic sharing. The second that we go to judgment and negativity and criticism, there, it, there's very little room for vulnerability and authentic sharing. How much do you want to trust if somebody, when someone's critical of you, when somebody's negative towards you, how trusting do you want to be? Uh, even if you're working at it, the door closes just a little. You're more willing to shut down when someone's critical around you. So imagine when you go to judgment, how that impacts the other person. The other thing is when we judge other people, there's a dynamic happening there where we're actually not only limiting what we can, we've made a judgment, we're limiting what we perceive that, they, that they're saying. They could say almost anything and we're gonna twist it into that judgment. But also we, in some ways, limit how they show up in our judgment. When we judge others to be a certain way, it's restrictive of their behavior in some way. That's a whole, there's a whole nother episode for that comment right there about how our perceptions and judgments of one another can actually restrict one another. There is a, an extremely wise word that says, when we judge others, we are really condemning or judging ourselves. Why is that? Why does that make sense? There's another saying that the world is our mirror. Why are we mirrors for one another? The reason is that we can only judge outside of ourselves from what we've already judged inside of ourselves. We can only perceive what's outside of ourselves, that which we've already set into a framework within ourselves. So when we judge someone, to be evil, it's because we have that evil within us. When we judge them to be heavenly, to be a godsend, it's because we have that deific quality within ourselves. So judgment of others is limiting to ourselves as well. There's that saying, uh, don't let he who is without sin cast the first stone, or people in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. Same idea. The things that we judge basically are what we're usually seeing in ourselves. And when we judge it in someone else, not only are we 
seeing in another person, but nine times out of 10, we are scapegoating them. You know, you are such a lying, cheating SOB. We are scapegoating on them, our anger and our rage with ourselves for all the times we've been lying, scapegoating SOBs. Anytime we judge, it's limitation of the other person, limitation of ourselves. And if there's anger behind it and blame behind it, that means we're transposing our own feelings about ourselves onto the other person. Just notice what your judgments are of other people. As you walk through the world, notice what your judgments are of people today and get that on some level, those judgments and feelings are happening within you, of you. If we go back to what day of the year this is, September 11th, I heard people saying today that they wanna go back and kill, still today, 20 years later, they wanna kill the people who brought down those towers. They wanna kill them because they're murderers and they're treacherous. That's what, they, that's what they're transposing onto those people. When in fact, they really don't know who they were or why they did what they did. And actually those people may have thought they were acting honorably in their action. Whether they were or not is a whole nother argument. The point being that our judgment of them is not always in alignment with who they actually felt like they were showing up as. That's pretty controversial. It's also possible that someone believes they're being honorable because they're coming from a place of judgment, which is another possibility. All right, honor your partner, suspend judgment. Number three, value differences. Why would we value differences? We value differences because everything new and creative comes out of difference. We tend to pick partners who are different than us in some way. They've got different strengths than we do. They come from different backgrounds. They've got some different beliefs. And where our differences meet is where we create something new together. Or where our differences meet could be where we go to judgment and de denigrating another person. It's our choice. Differences work for our relationship when we learn how to value them. Differences don't have to be about right or wrong. Like right or wrong are very extreme concepts. Differences in a relationship can be about differences in perspective. And it might be that we're looking at the same thing from different sides and seeing different things. If I'm looking at the front of the camel and you're looking at the back, what are you gonna think? Differences are about our preferences. What are the things that we prefer that make us more comfortable? The things that make us more comfortable may not always make our partner more comfortable. What are some examples? My partner, for example, uh, likes everything to be a certain way. I like a certain amount of flux. There's a difference in how we approach things. And it's the blending of those things that makes our life juicy together. When we can meet both of those needs, things get really special with us. There can be differences of perception, going back to I'm looking at the front end, she's looking at the back end, or maybe I'm looking at the back end and she's looking at the front end, or she'd be more likely to say I am the back end and she is the front end if we were having a real difference. But it doesn't have to be that kind of perception. It doesn't have to be that kind of difference. It could be about likes and dislikes. Um, I've got couples I've worked with where one 
really, really, really likes seafood and the other one is allergic to shellfish and doesn't like fish. And yet they still manage to sit at the table and eat together. And yet they still manage to love each other and get along. There are definitely gonna be differences in personalities. Uh, and some of the differences I've just described have to do with personality differences. In fact, in a strong partnership, there will definitely be differences in personalities. In a strong partnership, one person generally is gonna be more visionary and the other one, or strategic, and the other one's gonna be more detail-oriented or tactical. And it's the blending of those two things that drives that family forward. The visionary person is making sure that there's retirement money, that there's gonna be a vacation home to take the kids to or whatever it is that they see in the future. The tactical one is gonna be making sure that money's being set aside for those things. They're gonna make sure that all the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed so that everything moves forward in a smooth way. And yet, when they have an argument about something, the strategic person is gonna talk all about the big picture and the tactical person is gonna talk about why can't you dot your I's and cross your T's? And they're gonna butt heads about it. So when they're in harmony, when those differences in personality in, are in harmony, when they're valuing those differences and leaning into their strengths, the relationship is stronger for it. But when they're in judgment, or they're in defensiveness, they view each other's strengths as weaknesses. We are all unique. We are all fearfully and wonderfully made. None of us is created the same. Thank God none of us are created the same. Imagine what a boring world it would be if everyone were just like you. If you all watched the same shows, ate the same food, slept at the same time, it would be a horrendously boring world. Learn to accept differences. Differences are what make life juicy. Learn to accept and explore, if you haven't already, your own personal uniqueness. Part of what's important about differences, each of us have our own unique purpose in the world because we come from unique backgrounds, unique families, unique genetic backgrounds, unique cultural backgrounds, unique experiential backgrounds, and that makes us effective even in the same people who have the same skill sets have a slightly different purpose on how those skills can be applied because of their backgrounds and their passion and what works for them and what they get excited about. And you can celebrate that in one another when you value difference. That is when we are in the space of celebrating our partner's difference and helping them to grow in their purpose in life and celebrating their success instead of feeling competitive with them all the time or feeling less than because they've accomplished more in some area than we have. Difference is to be celebrated. All right, number four. This may sound really duh, but it's be trustworthy. Remember, I told you that intimacy is based on care and communication, empathy, and trust. How do you evolve trust in a relationship? One of you has to be trustworthy. When we're trustworthy, we demonstrate by our words and our actions that we recognize and respect the worth and vulnerability of our partner. The worth and vulnerability of our partner. So if we were gonna be not trustworthy, we would be attacking their vulnerability and the doors would be closing and they're gonna be less available. If we're celebrating their uniqueness, their value, their worth and respecting it, the doors are gonna open 
and there's going to be more trust. That's like, duh. But think about it. How often in life have you gone into the kitchen and your partner's there and maybe they are cooking dinner and they've left something on the counter? How often have you said, ah, look at that. That onion peels on the counter. There's always something on the counter. Even a small remark like that closes the door of trust a little more. How many times have you made a joke at the expense of your partner? You know, in every joke, what makes a joke funny, there's a little kernel of truth. And if you're making a joke at the expense of your partner, it may seem funny at the time, but there's less room for trust. You're being less trustworthy when you do that. Or how many times have you been the victim of that behavior? Just note how it feels to you when someone makes a little snarky remark and you just let it roll off your shoulders, but it, there's, you keep, you're keeping score. The bank, the snark remark bank is filling up slowly but surely. And the more full that bank becomes, the less safe you feel and the less safe you feel, the less trust there is. To the extent that you treat the person as precious and irreplaceable, you are trustworthy. So this again is built on honoring your partner but not just honoring them, it's experiencing them as precious, as someone so important to you, someone you care about so deeply that if they weren't there, there'd be a gaping hole in your life. Getting that they are irre irreplaceable, not because you're incomplete without them, but because who they are is so important to you who you value who they are so much. And when you, when you see them as precious and irreplaceable, you become more trustworthy in their eyes. When you treat them as precious and irreplaceable, you become more trustworthy in their eyes. It's almost like an attitude of reverence. If you walked into a, your spiritual community, whatever that is, whether it's a synagogue, a church, uh, a yoga retreat, whatever. And you started behaving in a way that was irreverent. How would you feel about that? In some way, you diminish the safety of that place when you behave that way, when you behave in a way that's out of alignment with the spiritual principles of that place. And so what I'm encouraging you to do is what are the spiritual principles of your marriage? How does precious and irreplaceable fit into the principles you have for your marriage? And when you walk into the place of worship of your marriage, how do you behave? And get that every time you go home and hang out with your partner, that's what you're doing. Trust is not earned once and for all in a marriage. Trust is built over time. So there may be a time where you had great trust. When you were falling in love, you were building trust, building trust, building trust. And then perhaps you slipped into a time where you're busy getting the job done. Both of you, excuse me, are attending to the needs of the family and you're building the marriage less and the trust diminishes when that goes on. Trust is something that you filled in, fill into and build into continuously. It's got to be established continually and maintained. All right. 
Last of all, numero cinco, respect boundaries. So let's talk about what is a boundary first. Uh, a boundary, you might think of a boundary as a fence. You might think of a boundary as a line in the sand. It's probably better to think of it as a line in the sand. A boundary is something that another person sets so that they can feel safe. For example, I have a client who set a boundary with his wife recently. He said, anytime that I feel like we're slipping into an argument, I'm going to check out because I just don't want to have that kind of exchange with you. I don't I, I love you and care about you too much to allow ourselves to denigrate our relationship by fighting senselessly. And I'm telling you in advance. So he told her in advance. And the message was, let's not have senseless fights. Well, because their fighting had been habitual, of course, she crossed that boundary within a few couple of days. And he said to her, Jessica, you've crossed the line here. I'm going to step out and we'll talk about it when we come back. That's a boundary. So when someone, when your partner sets a boundary with you, really take it in. Sometimes when your partner sets a boundary with you, it might feel like they're trying to control you. So in the example I just gave you, the wife may have felt like he was trying to manipulate her, but really he was just being very clear. He wasn't going to engage in that. And so when your partner sets a boundary with you, first notice your reaction. How much is it about you really? Or how much is, is it about what they're willing to tolerate and what they're not willing to tolerate? And if they set that boundary, honor it. Honor it by not engaging in the behavior that they've asked you to engage in. Or if you engage in it, if, you're just, if that boundary doesn't make sense to you and you're going to engage in it anyway, when they walk away or do whatever it is they say they're going to do, just accept that and honor the fact that they've made that choice. Okay. I want to be this way. They don't. I get it. Respecting boundaries is both about noticing what your partner's needs are. And even if the boundary doesn't work for you, accepting that the results, the consequence of not accepting the boundary is going to be whatever it is they tell you that that boundary is about or vice versa. And so for that matter, when you're setting a boundary, get that your partner can respect the boundary by engaging in whatever behavior you've asked them not to, as long as they don't give you a hard time about the consequence. If they're giving you a hard time about the consequence, what? You walked away just because I said something? That's disrespecting the boundary. If you walk away and they say, all right, I get it, you set a boundary. And I'm not willing to, I'm, I'm not willing to adhere to that boundary, but I get it that this is what you're gonna do. That's a form of honoring. It sounds counterintuitive, but it isn't. Disrespecting a boundary is when not only do you cross the line, but you barrage, abuse, and accuse the other person for setting the boundary in the first place. Creating safety is a process. So setting boundaries is an important way that each of us sets boundaries for ourselves. And generally boundaries are created by the individual to stop a behavior or an interaction that they feel is unsafe for them for whatever reason. And even though you may not see sense in it or they may not see sense in our boundaries, it's something we're doing because it makes us feel safer to have it. And that boundary, and boundaries are not, are not always permanent, by the way. Sometimes we work through something and set a new 
boundary. But if we ignore our partner's boundaries, then you can count on them probably ignoring ours. You know, the problem is when one person crosses somebody else's boundary, boundary crossing becomes a way of life. Safety is the key ingredient in the development of a closely connected relationship. I mean, we're created to be open and intimate with one another. That's why we're here for. We crave it. We want it. We need it. Safety allows us to live out that kind of life. Openness and intimacy are the byproducts of trust and safety. Trust and safety don't come out of openness and intimacy. Intimate, uh, out of, oh, excuse me. Openness, uh, trust and safety don't come out of openness and intimacy. Openness and intimacy come out of trust and safety. We have to create that trust and safety first. If we focus on creating a safe environment for both our spouse and ourselves, openness and intimacy will naturally occur. When our hearts are open, our whole lives are open and we find ourselves truly thriving. I'd love to know what you think. Why don't you drop me a line at rich at richinrelationship.com. If this is something you'd like to talk about or you'd like to deeper understanding, you can schedule a complimentary call with me through bit.ly forward slash end the fight, E-N-D-T-H-E-F-I-G-H-T. It's a bit.ly link, bit.ly forward slash end the fight, all one word. Try applying these five steps to your relationship today and tell me how it goes. Let me know what you think. I hope you're all having a safe and trustworthy day. And thank you so much for tuning in.